Blue Valentine I revisit. I won't say a lot. That's weird. Come to <laughs> I revisit. Would, I would think that was weird if you revisited Blue Valentine a lot. <laughs> Welcome to the episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. And today, we are in the final part of our Western series. So, so Thomas, what have we talked about this month regarding the Western? I know it's been a lot <laughs> and a lot of different subgenres within the Western, but what have we talked about? Yeah, I think, I think if you boil it down, you've got this kind of mythology of the West and kind of the Western man. And this idea, like american manifest destiny and this the west is this untapped resource this pure land that you can you can go and be whoever you want to be and then the opposing side to that is you know it, it it is completely uncivilized and and some people like john ford's stagecoach views that as as a good thing that is a place where you can go and be away from the pressures of society wild bunch presents that kind of in the opposite direction and yeah. and the spaghetti westerns you know do as well it's a it's a place of cutthroats and duelists and good and bad and ugly um mm -hmm. and and you know and then with jeremiah johnson you get something a little bit kind of more pure it's like a survivalist western it's this idea of like yeah. one man against nature can he can he harv harness nature for his own survival that sort of thing but it but it all has to do with the west with a capital w and like what what does this completely untapped uncivilized land present to you and so there yes there are a lot of different ways that people approach it but the western in itself you know you get that you get the cowboys you get the gunslingers those characters are all kind of different there are these yeah. tropes that we've seen and will continue to see uh mm -hmm. you know we've we in stagecoach we had the 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 genteel confederate which is yeah. an idea that's going to come back into play today uh, it, it, so th there are definitely these tropes that, that kind of cycle through but i think everyone who has ever made a western is really approaching that question of what what did the wild west mean yeah yeah and and off that too it's like i think this came into play with wild bunch i think even even today it's like there's something about this genre um as as we've gotten as we've gotten older, I think out of the forward era and stuff, but it's this idea of like almost self-aware or like this idea of borrowed time. Mm -hmm. I think everyone feels like they're on some sort of borrowed time yep. with the West. Change, change is coming. Yeah, it's like even in Jeremiah Johnson, where he's yeah, at one point he's like, oh, I'm I'm gonna move up north because move up north Canada because everything's already kind of been explored and taken mm -hmm. here in in America. Um, or, or if it is a uh, wild bunch where, where the character with William Holden, Robert Ryan kind of aware, like there's a, there's not a lot of us left. Like technology, our modern era is coming in. The cowboy is dying off. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, yeah, it's always kind of happening. Um, I think, and then from the outside perspective, a business perspective of this genre is that every, pr pretty much every decade, someone in Hollywood on some, uh, news outlet goes the western's dead here's why mm -hmm. and then follow right followed right behind that is usually like two or three westerns that either make money or get a lot of oscar nominations yeah most recently power of the dog yeah and i mean and, and you know you could argue that that you know 
well, it's not as pervasive as it once was when every TV show was a Western. Yeah. But still, you look in the past 10 years, you've got uh, Justified, Hell on Wheels, uh, Westworld. Um, Yellowstone. 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 Uh, Netflix yeah. did Godless. Yep. There's there's still plenty of Westerns it, on TV. Uh, yeah, it, it, three, it, it, three Yellowstone yeah. spinoffs. Like. Yeah, yeah. And more and and they're getting like more western by each spinoff, mm-hmm. basically, yep. is what's happening. Um, or even like Deadwood is mm-hmm. an example. You have Deadwood the movie come out uh, a few years ago. Um, it, it's a genre that you can it, it's one that you can like you can tell you can tell a modern story in a western mm-hmm. is the thing. Well and, 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 I, and with something like Westworld, I said I think in, in our uh Wild Bunch episode once you get once you get a genre like this that is so deeply entrenched like everyone even if they aren't a western fan they understand the yeah. the the basic tropes of a western so yeah, then the it's mythos of that's it. how you can you can play with it like you know with yeah. westworld they played with that idea of like the white hat and the black hat and you yeah. know any anyone watching that show was like oh, okay yeah you wear a white hat you're a good guy you wear a black hat you're a bad guy like that's we know that or or even like the damsel in distress kind of trope mm-hmm. of the western genre with with uh Evan Rachel Wood or even another extent is um with Newton's character um kind of being the 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 somewhere to say stagecoach like the the prostitute or hooker with a heart of gold type mm-hmm. thing in a or a prostitute who's a main character in some way in the story and how do you how do you riff off that trope mm-hmm. and that's kind of all there in, in Westworld um and we talked about I guess earlier on we were talking about West uh I'm sorry Wild Bunch and how there's always been that possibility of a remake and it was like oh no we're gonna make we're gonna do this we're gonna do wild bunch but not as a western and i think kind of our view is that no you can still do it as a western and still talk about modern society you don't have to make it about like oh it's it's going to the cartel and doing this type thing and i think that's one reason why we kind of picked today's movie and that's the 2010 uh film true grit a remake of the 1969 film starring john wayne uh, that you can kind of tell a old school western story for the modern era mm-hmm. as long as you have the right approach to it i yep. think yeah exactly and i think that's that's what's going to occur today but yeah so that's kind of in the genre we've talked about again all the different subgenres from the traditional western with ford to the revisionist western with uh wild bunch to the spaghetti western with good bad and the ugly and to kind of the other genre of like frontier western survival western with jeremiah johnson and it's kind of all just building and building where these all are in different kind of corners of the Western, but all have similar things running through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, with today, we're talking about True Grit, released in 2010, uh, written, directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen, the Cohen brothers. Um, and it is based on a novel uh, from 1968 written by Charles Portis, which was later turned into a film in 1969 starring John Wayne, Kim Darby and Glenn Campbell. Um, the other kind of players today. So you have Jeff Bridges starring as Rooster Cogburn, a kind of old Confederate, uh, now, uh, Marshall, U S Marshall, who goes and captures people and brings them to justice. Um, and you have uh, a character named Maddie Ross played by Haley Steinfeld, whose father has been killed by an outlaw named Tom Chaney. Uh, he's, his, her father's been murdered and she, she seeks to get vengeance or revenge on Tom Chaney. So she seeks, a U.S. Marshal to go help her track him down, and also she gets teamed up with a Texas Ranger named uh, Labeef, played by Matt Damon. 
And so they're all trying to track down Chaney um, to try seek revenge or with Damon's character, bring him to justice is kind of the thing or their own version of justice in some way with her. It's kind of the outlaw justice with Matt Damon, with LaBeef. It's more of the traditional court justice is the idea. Um, and so, yeah, uh, that's the movie. Uh, as of today, I think it's actually going off Netflix tomorrow. Yeah. But it's streaming. I noticed on Netflix. that when I pulled it up. I was it's, like, Oops, yeah, can't recommend yeah, it to people on Netflix. But stream, it'll pop up somewhere else. But it's currently streaming. If you're listening today, go watch tonight. Um, if you're listening at the day of the release. Um, but yeah. So what's what's your history with this movie, Thomas? With True Grit by the Coens. Um, I, I saw this in theaters. It was one like I, I like I said. I've always been a fan of westerns, but I'd never seen. The original True Grit until yeah. this was news of this was coming out and and my <laughs> all the people I knew who were really into westerns which was my dad's friends and my friend's mm-hmm. dads um were all like I can't believe they're remaking True Grit that's that's the best John Wayne and I'd seen a lot of John Wayne movies at that yeah. point and I'd never seen True Grit so uh we I, I think I bought it actually in in like mm-hmm. Walmart or something and watched it and i was like this this is the one everybody says is the best john wayne movie <laughs> and i think it's one of those things it's it's the lasting legacy of an oscar you know it was like he yep. got an oscar yep. for that one so everybody's like that's the best and it, it's and, the best one and they made a yeah. sequel to it and so it was like oh well, that yes. must be it but like glenn campbell's awful in it i don't think kim darby's very good in it uh-huh. i don't i don't i don't think it's john wayne's best performance um yeah. So yeah, so we, we we sat and watched it, and and so many people I knew at that point were like, "I'm not even going to see that remake. They shouldn't be. They got no right remaking True Grit." And we like watched it. I was like, "Okay, I'm pretty open to this. I like the Coen Brothers. I like this cast." And so yeah, I went I went opening night, and it was that kind of thing where for a while I would have people who knew that I was into movies being like, "You see that True Grit remake?" I was like, "Yeah, it's better than the original," and they'd be like, "Ah, no." <laughs> but I, 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 I distinctly remember my uh, there's a, a family friend of mine is very, very quiet man. He's a just kind of your quintessential Southern. Yeah. Uh, and and he loves Westerns. So that's like all he watches Westerns and war movies. And he and mm-hmm. I were sitting and, and very rarely have conversation. You know, he's just the type of guy sits in a rocking chair and likes to <laughs> likes to be silent. He and I yeah. are sitting on a porch at um, at our friend's beach house one night. And he's just rocking and we're both kind of sitting and rocking. And he says, you see that True Grit remake? And I said, yeah. He said, I think that was better than the original. And I went, whoa, man. Finally. That's a big deal. I met deal. someone. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like that, that, it, was, it was something I knew immediately coming out of the theater. I was like, yeah. they have completely Surpassed. improved upon everything within this movie. And I've, I've never read the book, but it feels, it, it still feels faithful to the original movie. And which I feel like must be faithful to the book, but, um, but man, it's just so much better. Yeah. We'll get into that. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think so. My, I, I, I'll admit this. Uh, I still haven't seen the original with true grit, I guess (laughs) I kind of want, I kind of want, I, I feel like I wanted to cover this episode and then go back and watch it. Maybe it's not the best way to do it. Maybe I should have watched it beforehand. Um, but I read enough on it and kind of, I've watched clips and stuff from it. Um, but so I'll admit that. Uh, but no, with with this movie, it's like I think the big history with me, weirdly, I remember the trailer for this film because mm-hmm. this trailer was so effective because mm-hmm. it was like one of the first ones that I think really used like Johnny Cash, like the old like old oh, Johnny yeah. Cash yeah. in the trailer. 
and it's the like i think god's gonna cut you down is mm-hmm. the is the is the one um they use but it's like it's it's using it's 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 cut very well the tension of it's built because it's like it's the kind of the line where at the very end it's like when donald gleason's like help me he's like i can do nothing for you son and then it like just has the sound effect of a gun going off mm-hmm. so it makes it feel like this like kind of revenge filled western like bloody and and raw and edgy and and the weird thing about this movie is that it's there is some of that in there mm-hmm. but there's like a weird and we'll it'll, this will come into play later but there's this kind of especially in the final the ending there's a weird kind of like fantasy aspect to it i guess mm-hmm. or fairy tale aspect to it in a way um because like the the ending with him right with it with bridges writing it's the like starry sky mm-hmm. the carter, carter burwell's mute score is amazing oh, in that ending uh, unjustly unjustly disqualified for for an oscar yeah because they used it was from a they used a, a portion from another a pre-existing score and we'll get into that later that comes into play too um but but yeah it's like it it, it there is a, some interesting elements to it with the film and so yeah i had never uh revisited the movie since it came out i i, th- I don't know if i saw it in theaters I think I might have. If not, it was one that was like rented day one type thing. Mm-hmm. I know I weirdly have a poster for it somewhere <laughs> at, at my house. Just that, like that, my, just that like big poster. It looks like yeah, a wanted the poster. Big, it looks like a wanted poster. Yeah. yeah, it has everyone's name on it. Yeah, because what happened was it was the movie store that I worked at. We got a bunch of posters at one point. And so at the very end when the, when the store was closing, he was selling a bunch of them. And I feel like that poster at that point was going online for like 80 bucks or something crazy. Okay. And I was like, got it for like 10. And I, and so it's stored somewhere in my, in, in my house uh, or my, or my parents' house. Um, but yeah, so it's like, that was a film that it, it was, it was a movie where it was a Western, but it kind of caught on to the mainstream in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and we'll go into play a little bit later about what what the what the box office was like that that Christmas season because when it came out in Christmas, um, but it was it was one that kind of just people gravitated towards mm-hmm. uh, at that point in time. And yeah, when go back and revisiting this time, it still holds up very well, and it's a very different movie for the Coens. Yeah. is the thing. Yeah. That's when you texted me during when you're watching it. You're just like, how can you judge? If you're ranking the Coens, how can you judge their filmography because their filmography is so radically different? Yeah, they work they work and, well in so many different genres. Yes, and kind of tones too, because that's the thing. It's like True Grit. It's like you said. It's like it's not. It's like it has Jeff Bridges, but it's nowhere near um, the Big Lebowski. But what's so interesting is like their voice is still there in both of them. Yeah, the, there's still so much humor in this movie, and it's yeah. and it's not. I wouldn't say it's meta. Like I wouldn't say it's tongue in cheek, or they're ever like making fun of the western. But to go back and rewatch the original, sometimes they're just. I mean, this is a testament to directing and directing actors. Sometimes they're just saying the exact same lines, and it'll yeah. just be hilarious in this version. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't play at all as a joke in the original and and it's yeah. and it's never feels like they're making fun of the original in any way no but they they do recognize i think kind of the absurdity in this this world you know this this mm-hmm. drunk old man and a, and a little girl and an incompetent texas ranger setting out yeah. on the road together the beef uh and then and then you have these weird kind of the, like the, the weird the comment or the i think statements on society at that point like you have that moment 
it's the it's the hanging sequence towards mm-hmm. the beginning when Maddie Ross shows up and like all the white men have their like last final word mm-hmm. and then the Native American guy who's trying to speak they just cut him off basically yeah. a little, little, um, little gallows humor they were always ex- good at that and literally that, that would pave the way for the uh, that James Franco sequence in oh uh, yeah <laughs> in in Buster, Ballard, Buster Scruck first time. <laughs> um yeah so and, and so yeah they would do this they would do the western later with ballad of buster scruggs and the thing is too uh they've also talking about the genres like one that we haven't really talked about uh in the western is kind of the neo-western mm. that kind of falls in the hell or high water but also no country for old men which comes yeah, out definitely a few years before this film um but yeah so yeah I, coming back this time it really still holds up and we'll discuss more um and so with that you want to get into the history of how this gets to production? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So at the end of two thousands, brothers Joel and Ethan Cohen were becoming some of the most beloved directors in Hollywood after the release of their two thousand seven Oscar winning film No Country for Old Men, adapted from Cormac McCarthy's novel, uh, same name. Uh, the Cohens had been known in the industry and amongst film fans as filmmakers with an eccentric, sharp perspective on society. Their films could be darkly funny and sometimes violent. To many, No Country for Old Men was seen as the moment that Hollywood finally recognized them for their culturally significant work they've been releasing since the 1980s with films like Blood Simple, Raising Arizona, Big Lebowski, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, and many others. Um, They would quickly follow up this neo-Western film uh, with two black comedies, which is kind of the bread and butter of the Coens for a a brief period. Um, While not as admired as No Country for Old Men, Burn After Reading and A Serious Man are both critical and commercial successes well, for the most part. I love both of those movies. <laughs> a Serious Man is, I mean, I, I like, once again, I don't know how to rank them. How do you compare A Serious Man to True Grit? But, like, that's yeah. that's consistently at least a top, like, five for me out of their work. Oh, A Serious Man? Yeah. It, it's They talk about how it's, it's definitely one of their most personal mm-hmm. films. You, it definitely feels that way. But I, I definitely remember that one kind of flying under the radar. Like, I I, yes. I, I rented that at Blockbuster, and I, I remember being like, oh, I didn't even know this yeah. was coming until I saw yeah. it, like, on DVD. Yeah, I think, because some of these I want to revisit, because I liked Serious Man a lot. I did not I did not enjoy Burn After Reading. Oh, no, you got to so watch I, it I again. <laughs> they're, they're straight-up comedies you have to watch multiple times. I felt the same way about Hail Caesar. It was like the third yeah. time watching Hail Caesar. I was like, oh, I actually love this. And, and <laughs> Burn After Reading is the same way. I won't I won't necessarily yeah. say that Intolerable Cruelty works in that fashion, but... Uh... <laughs> oh, come on. Die on that hill, Thomas. <laughs> Die on the Intolerable Cruelty hill. Um, but yeah, so during this impressive run, uh, Joel and Ethan Cohen began eyeing another novel for the big screen, but the only difference uh, this time was that this was a film that already graced the big screen. The Coens wanted to adapt the 1968 novel True Grit, written by Charles Portis. Um, we talked about this earlier in the month, but uh, but that book would later be adapted in 1969, as I said, uh, with famed icon John Wayne playing the lead role of Rooster Cogburn. Um, as Thomas said, uh, uh, Wayne would win the only Oscar of his career with his portrayal of the character. It would also reprise his role. He would reprise the role in a less successful film in 1975 called Rooster Cogburn, mm-hmm. co-starred famed actress Catherine Hepburn. And it's kind of a African queen knockoff, but with... That's what that's what I read, yeah. <laughs> but with him yeah. instead of Bogart. Instead of Bogart. Um, so when tackling their version of True Grit, the, Co- the Coens were very adamant they were distancing themselves from the original movie. 
choosing to focus more on Portis's original novel. Now, how did Portis's novel land to the lap of these brothers? Well, they wanted to make a kids' movie, hmm. or their version of a kids' movie. Um, a few years before the film, Joel tells LA Times that he pulled Porus's novel off the shelf to read to his son. He thought it would be he, he thought it would make a good movie when reading it, uh, and it was something they had done they had never done before a kids' adventure movie. <laughs> what a burn! Yeah. You're like, yeah, this could be a good movie. <laughs> it could be a good movie. I guess good movie for a modern uh, like a remake is what I mean. Uh, and Joel wasn't the only one to do that. His brother Ethan had read the book as well to his young daughter. Um, Making a movie that a 14-year-old girl is going to want to see is not something we usually do, Joel told LA Times uh, after the film's release. And that's what interests us. Doing something that you know as a parent you can take your 14-year-old daughter to see and actually like yourself for it. Um, star Jeff Bridges would later compare it to Mark Twain and Huck Finn. Mm-hmm. Another another story about a young Finn, a young character who goes on an adventure. Um, the, Co- the Coens also look to children's adventure novels and pirate movies like Treasure Island and even Disney's Blackbeard's Ghost starring P- Peter Ustinoff and Dean Jones. Um, another big influence in the film was Charles Lawton's The Night of the Hunter, uh, which they say is kind of always a part of their work uh carl burwell the, the the composer of the film would eventually use the hymn leaning on everlasting arms within mm-hmm. true grit score which is used heavily in lawton's film um they also were inspired by illustrations and paintings from howard Pyle. now this idea of a young person's adventure story or from, told from the perspective of a young person was not something that was apparently present in the novel's original adaptation even though it was present in the novel um because when john wayne is in the picture john wayne is the star uh, not the character of Maddie Ross, played by Kim, Dar- yeah. Kim Darby. Um, so the biggest change for the first film in the new adaptation was the story's perspective, choosing to tell it from the perspective of Maddie Ross, who hires Cogburn and not Cogburn himself. Yeah, I think when you watch the original, if there is any humor to it, it is in playing the the joke of like, oh, look at Maddie, she's trying to be a cowboy. Whereas this one, the joke is most often look how taken aback like look how off guard she gets these adults because yeah. of how smart she is like you know when, when she's negotiating like the the scene when she's negotiating for the horses is played completely differently in, yeah, in yeah. these two adaptations no it's it's like it's i think when coming into this it's like with this movie it's like she is kind of full of gumption and and is a very i guess a uh, plucky character but she's never really like out of her depth Mm-mm. if that like, i think she's always like it's like people think she is mm-hmm. that's the thing is that ever she always is everyone underestimates maddie ross in this movie mm-hmm. and she always kind of come like she always surprises everyone again and like in the it's the it's the adults around her that are kind of the like i think questionable people in mm-hmm. a way it's like cogburn is is a drunk essentially that's the whole thing cogburn's a drunk labeef is is egotistical the buffoon. <laughs> yeah it's the buffoon uh i'm i'm a texas ranger and like <laughs> it's like it's 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 yeah so yes yeah, she's always the one who like she can spot how, how like who everyone is and for and what they are for good or bad she can see the negatives to him but also the positives that's that's within them and she's able to kind of bring that out specifically bring that out of Cogburn and even Labeef to an extent mm-hmm. to bring out kind of who they are as individuals. And that's the thing Cogburn coming into it is not really a hero in any way. Like he's just kind of a dude who does his job, 
gets paid for it and drinks and lives in the back of like a Chinese restaurant mm-hmm. type thing. Like he's he's kind of a yeah. We're, a I mean, loser. we're we're presented with that first courtroom scene to show like this guy definitely shot those guys in the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, it's like yeah. How many have you killed? Um. So when I asked about research for the script, Jill Cohen said in an interview with MTV News, uh, of all places, <laughs> uh, we left all the research to Charles Portis. The book was obviously very steeped in the period, the language, the periodicals, the weapons, the culture of the period, in order to write the novel in such a detailed way. They also that the dialogue and humor that appeared in the script was mainly from Portis's novel and not from them, which many people thought it was. Uh, also, the Coens did not see the story as a Western, but as I said, a young kid's adventure film that just so happened to take place in the West, or in this case, in Arkansas and the Oklahoma Territory is what it says. Uh, while planning to adapt the book to the screen again, the Coens went to famed and now problematic producer Scott Rudin uh, about making the film. For Hollywood, the Western genre was seen as a dead genre. Uh, no surprise there. Even though we Rudin were, I mean, we were several years removed from 310 to Yuma, but that oh seven yes that's oh seven yeah, that one always strikes me as like that one made money like that was a, it a made successful money. movie people liked it. it i guess it just wasn't a bit it was moderately successful as mm. a thing um but it was still it was still and i think there was something else that came up around that time too in oh seven um but yeah but yes three ten was kind of a big one rudin had taken home the oscar for best picture because no country for old men so he kind of was like i'm not going to turn the cohen's down mm-hmm. if they want to make something at the time of development, DreamWorks had a deal with Paramount, um, and Rudin had taken the project to DreamWorks. Uh, so Spiel- that's why Steven Spielberg was the executive producer on the movie. I think it somehow gets lost later on. Uh, I think DreamWorks. I think it, I think at this point, maybe around this time, DreamWorks lands a deal with Disney, and so DreamWorks is still somewhat involved, but not as involved as they originally planned to be. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhere along the way, too, Skydance with Megan and David Ellison would get involved in the project uh, when they helped raise finance for the film's budget. Um, so that's why I get like, EP credit on the film. Um, Rudin and Cohen's knew from the very beginning that the role of Rooster Cogburn would be played by Jeff Bridges, who was a previous collaborator of the Cohen's with Big Lebowski. But the hardest part to cast no surprise here thomas was the role of maddie ross yeah, of course uh the plucky young teen out for revenge uh the cohen's worked with their trusted casting director ellen chinawith mm-hmm. uh but more specifically they worked with chinawith's casting associate rachel tenner according to an interview with vanity fair the cohen's said that tenner helped them find the child actors in their 2009 film a serious man she was again tasked with finding a child actress but it had to be someone that could tackle almost the archaic language mm-hmm. of portis's story um tenor had a long road ahead and i believe the first casting call was the for the film took place in austin texas in november 2009 um after that proved unsuccessful they began looking kind of all over the country specifically in the south uh, it seemed they looked in lubbock texas mobile alabama little rock arkansas kind of all, all over those are the cities they said they said i don't know if they actually had ca- open casting calls in these cities but they apparently looked kind of everywhere they also held auditions in new york and los angeles um this search would go on for months uh and the coens were determined to find an actress for the job not wanting to quit the film because they couldn't find the right person believe i believe they said you don't want to give yourself out to leave a movie Mm-hmm. So you have to do it no matter what. If like, once you start it, you kind of can't back out because they're they're nearing production. They're in they're in prep at this moment in time. They're nearing production, um, and after months of searching and almost fifteen thousand actresses being looked at, 
They would eventually find a 13-year-old actress by the name of Haley Steinfeld from Los Angeles, California, mm -hmm. of all places. Um, the Coen said that her tape was easily one of the best ones because she immediately understood the language of the character, which they said 99.9% .9 of the others did not. Um, within a week or so, they would do a few tests with Jeff Bridges and Barry Pepper, quickly realizing that she was the perfect person for the role. And once she was cast and everything fell into place, the team would move into production, and that leads us to our favorite scenes. So, Thomas, what is one of your favorite scenes in this movie? I mean, if we're if we're talking Haley Seinfeld, I, I I already mentioned it, but the the negotiating for the horses scene is amazing. Scene. It's amazing. It's, it's a, amazing. It's a great introduction of the character. Yeah, because like it it it's just like the the back and forth between her and. Let me get this actor's name because he. Why does this actor from is that he was on? This is gonna sound weird. He was on the Jeff Foxworthy show, season one. Uh -huh. Is what I know this guy from. Um, but yeah, he plays the kind of the bar. They're, they're bargaining for the horses and her dad's kind of belongings, and just the back and forth. And what I love later is the callback in the second scene when she comes back up and was like, getting wanting one of the horses or mules back. He goes. Wait, are we bargaining again? Are we bargaining again? But yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, he's just he's so good in it. She's so good, but like he's playing these like just increasingly increasing levels of flustered, you know, it's he, yes. which is which is a theme we will continue to see throughout the movie as people underestimating Maddie. Uh, yes, but this is kind of your intro to to her and also the way that people treat her because he's just like, oh, yep, sorry about your dad. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I might give you a little bit of money, and then she's like, no, I only will settle for three hundred and fifty, and he's like, absolutely not, and then they just <laughs> keep going and going and going until basically she he, she whittles him down to like exactly what she wants yeah. is kind of the thing. Yeah. Uh, Dakin Matthews is the character's mm -hmm. name. Is you the get that great name. line when, when she's leaving and she tells the stable boy like, "Give my regards to him." He says, "No, ma'am, I'm not supposed to mention your name." <laughs> And so right from the beginning, you know, like I said, it sets the tone of who this character is. Again, she's constantly underestimated mm -hmm. by the men because that's because there's not really another woman in this entire movie. Yeah, she's but she's the, but always the men in, in, infantilized. You know the, that was, yeah. Even before the negotiating for the horses scene, you've got the the Undertaker with the if you would like to kiss him, that would be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she's she, yeah. <laughs> She's like, nope, the soul's already left the body. I'm good. So I'm done. Yeah, I'm good. And then it's kind of, it's the kind of like, can I stay here tonight or whatever? He's like, well, I have three more bodies coming in. She's like, okay, <laughs> your, po your point. Secondly, your valuation of the horse is high by about $200. How old are you? If anything, my price is low. Hi, Judy is a fine racing mare. I've seen her jump an eight-row fence with the heavy rider. I'm 14. Oh, well, it's all very interesting. The ponies are yours. Take them. Your father's horse was stolen by a murderous criminal. I had provided reasonable protection for the creature as per our implicit agreement. My watchman had his teeth knocked out and can take only soup. Well, I will take it to law. You have no case. Lawyer J. Noble Daggett of Dardanelle, Arkansas, may think otherwise. Is might a jury. Petitioned by a widow and three small children. I will pay $200 to your father's estate when I have in my hand a letter from your lawyer absolving me of all liability from the beginning of the world to date. I will date take $200 for Judy plus $100 for the ponies and $25 for the gray horse that Tom Cheney left. He was easily worth $40. Another scene, like, again, talk about perspective in this movie. How, again, almost everything is from her perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think a great example of that 
is how the Coens introduce Labeef, mm-hmm. uh, both visually and then in dialogue form later. But the visual of when she's walking up and he's out on the porch, like smoking a pipe or whatever that he's smoking. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like, who's that guy? And then you introduce him later when uh, they're in the scene, they're in the scene together when they're in, they're in uh, her room. And he's like, I'm a Texas Ranger. Mm-hmm. And like, and cause he knows what she's after. God, he's got that great line about, <laughs> Uh, as I watched you sleeping, I thought about stealing a kiss, even though you are ugly and sickly or something like that. It's like, but now yeah. I have half a mind to bend you over my knee and spank you. And she's just like, either one would be as, as bad as the other. <laughs> oh yeah. It's just, it's just fantastic of how, and like, cause Damon, I, I, Damon's role. It's interesting. Cause this is the first, or this is the first time, time that like, I think that, he was in like a Cohen's work of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's really good in this movie. Yep. Like everyone's really good, but it's like, I think he gets overshadowed because bridges is it's like, he's not, it's rooster Cogburn's the, the main role. And then Haley Steinfeld's kind of this massive discovery mm-hmm. uh, as Maddie Ross and Damon kind of gets overlooked uh, sometimes, but their, their, their chemistry, all three of them together is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, from just like because like you never see like you don't see them all together until they're on the road basically yeah like that again talk about perspective is that we don't have a scene where where labeef and cogburn have discussion like yeah we're gonna we're gonna betray this young girl by leaving early and you never see them actually make a deal like we don't know that 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 labeef has teamed up with cogburn until she's crossing the river to see them Mm mm-hmm it's kind of set out that they're on two separate missions in a way. And then all of a sudden they're together. So that it, like they, they smartly stick with that perspective that we're seeing everything from Maddie's yep. point of view uh, for that's, the most part. That's we don't have to talk about that whole scene, but there Jeff Bridges has so many just pitch perfect line readings in this movie. And, mm-hmm. and I, one of them I think is when Labeef is spanking Maddie and she's like, Marshall, yeah. are you going to let him do this? And he's like, no, no, I don't believe I will. <laughs> and yeah, and then pulls out a gun. But right there, that's that. That's the kind of that's the beginning of peeling back the onion that is Rooster Cogburn mm-hmm. in that scene, because you're beginning to see the effect that she has and will continue to have on him yeah, as get, as like a conscious. He gets that little basically. smile when she when she fords her pony across the river and, yeah. and Labeef is just like, Oh, can you believe this? And he's like, Hey, look at that. That's I can't, impressive. Yeah, he he's impressed he's impressed by her constantly. Mm-hmm. And it's the kind of like we've seen a lot of the story of like we just saw this with Obi Wan in a way and we saw Mandalorian of like the kind of cold hearted character who gets his heart warmed by this this person Mm -hmm. that they they carry with them through it through a journey and this handles it very well of like slow but surely start to reveal that he's impressed by this young this the gumption and this kind of attitude and resilience of this young woman and he he wants to help her in the end is the thing Mm -hmm. is that he does she does warm his cold (laughs) drunken heart uh, at the end of the day um, but yeah, and that scene right there is it's it's just a great moment where you now know, cool, Cogburn's gonna be on on Maddie's side for the most part, and he 
will pull a gun on anyone no matter what. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't matter if it's a Texas Ranger or not. And again, like you said, in that courtroom scene, another scene I love so much is the courtroom scene of how you introduce Cogburn and the dialogue form uh, and the the visual style that Deacons does because Deacons shoots this film uh, incredibly well. It shows you what who Cogburn is before Ross comes into his mm-hmm. uh, comes into this world. Um, do you have another scene that you like? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I got a shout out. We we had it just recently with with Mother, but I got a shout out a solid Donald Gleason appearance as as Moon in the Gleason's um, great in the cabin. I I think this I I think Peck and Paul would like this movie in that. It is not overly violent, but anytime it does depict violence, it does it realistically. Um, kind of, I was, I went back and watched a couple of scenes from the original, and the the you know the big finale is mm-hmm. very much one of those things Peck and Pa was talking about about uh, John Wayne shoots his gun at you, you fall off your horse, and then you're gone from the rest of the movie, and that's how violence yeah. works in a western. Yeah. And, and and here there are very few moments of violence, but they are depicted realistically. And so you get that scene of absolute chaos when he chops yeah. Moon's fingers, fingers off, off and, and yeah. Moon's screaming and then he's stabbing him and Rooster shooting him. And it's it's such a wild moment. The editing is is great in yeah. that. But um, but but Donald Gleason plays it so well. And, you, you know, you, you know, who plays Moon in, in the original? I don't. Uh, Dennis Hopper wow yeah yeah he's and he's he's really good in it but um but yeah talk about just talk about times of just mixing like that's like right after easy rider yeah. that dennis hopper's in that well, role and then, you okay. know, robert duvall wow. is is ned pepper in the original oh wow okay yeah, yeah. okay I, yeah yeah so it's definitely one of those like 60s 70s like yeah where it's of, like <laughs> yeah of like old Glenn hollywood, Campbell and john wayne but then you've also got dennis, dennis hopper, hopper and robert duvall <laughs> And the lesser roles in that movie. <laughs> oh man, I, I, I Des Hopper post Easy Rider in that movie is, uh, or Easy Rider is, is it sixty eight or sixty nine? I always I always forget sometimes with that sixty nine. So same year, so same year he's an Easy Rider. Mm-hmm. He's in, he's in True Grit. Wow. Okay, but it, that scene yet, yeah, I love that scene. It's so well done. It's it's you know that that the other guy is so belligerent and and you know moon's panicking and they keep yelling at him and they're all getting at each other's throats and then it just explodes and it's it's paced so well and shot and performed and cut it yeah it's a great for for, you know it's 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 one of the bigger action scenes in the movie and it all takes place in this cabin like yeah it's kind of wild but and I love the kind of the, their the dialogue of because Maddie's like to Quincy I don't I don't like you or whatever <laughs> yeah. she says <laughs> and and Bridget and and Cogburn smiles at that yeah yeah it's there's like, this one part where, where Moon's like staring at her and he's like I'm confused why is there a girl here <laughs> <laughs> I'll take you down to Bagby store tomorrow and get that ball taken out of your leg then I'll give you three days to clear the territory you don't know those boys you're looking for. That ain't his leg. Put your flap in your mouth, Mo. It's best you let me do the talking. I would say we, it, we are weary trappers. Who worked you over with the ugly stick? The man chaining with the marked face killed my father. He was a whiskey drinker like you, and it led to killing in the end. If you answer the marshal's questions, he will help you. I have a good lawyer at home, and he will help you too. I'm puzzled by this. Why is she here? She's gonna jump with these people, Mo. Don't you go join with that rock. I don't like you. 
<laughs> I hope you go to jail. My lawyer will not help you. And then after that, right after that, because the, the whole the kind of brutal scene, quick the quickly brutal realistic scene with with Gleason and uh, character Quincy, a uh, play of Paul Ray, get killed. Um, then you have the like cool. Well, they now know that uh, Pepper and his gang are going to show up. So let's hide out and possibly essentially attack them in some way from like, like snipe them off or whatever. And then again, it's, it's probably, it's on the novel probably, I assume, I don't know, but if not, it's the Cohen's Agnes of just like the kind of misfortune of here comes LaBeef the beef showing up. Here comes the beef. This true everything up. Yeah. And again, I love that scene with that Deacons and Cohen shoot it where it's like, it's that, it's from the perspective of Maddie Ross and Cogburn mm-hmm. is that for the most part, until they actually attack LaBeef and Cogburn start shooting, the camera's all from back there. It's a long yeah, shot. You can't hear anything. You're just no. seeing it play out as they're seeing it. The cameras, the cameras painting left and right. Like the, like their eyes looking to focus on a new object. Basically is that's looking them writing in, looking to the, the, the cabin, and Labeef not walking out, and then all of a sudden Labeef starts to walk out or whatever, and then everything goes to hell, mm-hmm. and that's when you kind of you the camera gets put in the perspective of Labeef being dr- drug through uh through the area on the horse mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but no, it's and then again, they all all their stuff because that's after um. Is the t- is his tongue thing after that? Is what it is. Yeah, he bites his, he bites gets, his tongue when, he's, his tongue when he gets drugged. Yeah. When he gets drugged, and so then after that, it's it's just that there's great kind of the chemistry between all three of them is is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Josh Brolin. <laughs> any um, any moment, Josh Brolin is on screen in this. Because because Brolin, what again? What's so fascinating with this movie and the story with Brolin, and I got this when I watched it, and I heard, I heard an interview where Brolin talked about it. Is that Brolin's character is like he's not the heavy Mm-mm. in this movie that's that's barry pepper's character that's yeah. ned pepper Clan- clancy's just a like a kind of a buff- not i'll say buffoon but like he he's kind of like he's he's he's, he's scary but he's also comic he's, relief yeah he's he's just kind of odd odd bird basically mm-hmm. is what i would say like he's kind of he's kind of an outcast with his own group is the thing I- absolutely love the moment when he sees her because he's just like hey i know you you're maddie what are, <laughs> what are you doing here <laughs> and he's just and he he's so com- confused but also oblivious like oh yeah i killed your father not that long ago and she's like come back you're, you're coming back with me and he's like i don't believe i will <laughs> well i thought about how like he's the guy who like he's he's kind of uh, he's kind of like he's a very talkative guy mm-hmm. is the thing he's always talking this kind of thing and, and he's always very sweet and not sweet but like he has like a like a um he has manners in a way of like i don't think i will yeah. or like i don't i don't think i should stay here ned yeah. like i think i should go with let you me guys. ride on your horse i am not heavy <laughs> but yeah you know it's, it is that thing like you said like ned is the heavy yes and rooster's always known that to, yeah. to maddie to maddie the road has always been leaving to tom but to rooster it's it, the concern has always been that tom is thrown in with ned yeah and and i think because you know we, we're seeing this movie from maddie's perspective that's we don't we don't really grasp how serious it is that ned is involved until ned has yeah. maddie and and tom yeah. has just become kind of this background character yeah but like 
again, it's again that perspective. It's like they build it up like Clancy's is some this this like mythical monstrous figure in a way, mm-hmm. and then she's just ra- he's just this ram dude on the on the river. Yeah, and and Ned, the way that Ned treats him almost like a child. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is the guy that's in charge. And then and Pepper again, and then Barry Pepper as Ned Pepper in the scene when he's talking with Maddie, he's even kind of impressed with her is oh, the yeah. thing of, ha- mm-hmm. of how she is. And he's just kind of like, okay, cool. Let's just, I want to see him leaving and then I'll let you do whatever. But then he also like, he makes it to where it's Clancy that they're, that's left with her is mm-hmm. the thing. So it's like, there is this kind of villainous streak there, but he seems somewhat like he, 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 he can compromise, I guess, in a way uh in those in those scenes um but yeah back quickly while i love leading into that with damon and bridges with cogburn and labeef they have this mutual respect respect for one another they just constantly poke and prod at one another though mm. it's like it's the scene it's the it's the like you're drunk you can't shoot anything and that's bridges throwing the glass up into the air trying to shoot it mm-hmm. and it's like i thought this the sun was in your eyes or your eye or whatever mm-hmm. he says um but then it leads into the you have all that kind of back and forth back and forth and then that kind of big scene after pepper has left clancy cheney cheney i'm sorry cheney sorry why does i keep saying clancy tom, tom clancy it? tom clancy yeah uh uh <laughs> tom clancy. yeah rainbow six um so yeah with, with cheney um so he le- he uh leaves with cheney and then labeef shows up and saves her is mm-hmm. the thing and then gets taken by surprise again again yeah <laughs> He has his big moment of victory, hits his big shot, and then he gets hit over the head with a rock. That, yeah, that's that's how it goes with Labeef. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like he constantly has to be brought down a peg is kind of the thing. And someone's always there to do it. But going into that kind of big shootout, the ending of that, where you have uh Cogburn going after Olive Pepper and his men, it's a great scene. Mm-hmm. And the way it's shot is amazing, the way it's edited is amazing. And you're talking about the realistic violence of it all. It's like Cogburn is just shoot everyone one by one and everyone's dead. It's like it's a very hard fought mm-hmm. shootout for Cogburn. And he's being shot. He's shoot he's missing people and he's getting them. Like it, it's a pretty knockdown drag out shootout. Well, it, it, it almost feels like a direct answer to that quote from Peck and Pow about, you know, you get shot, you fall off your horse, and then you're gone. They have that shot of the one guy the one guy that gets shot and like maybe the shot didn't kill him but then he falls yeah. off his horse and like bashes his head in on a rock on the ground yeah and you're like oh, okay well that, <laughs> that killed him that killed him yeah. that killed him um well going into that saying with this with going to this fight this film is two hours long but the pace of it is kind of insane mm-hmm. like it's paced so extremely well with like oh we're at the end yeah like well, it, 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 it's over it's over before you know it I, I think it it skips a when, when you're talking about kind of like the mandalorian and all this like mentor and a young person arc and especially mm-hmm. because it's from maddie's point of view it, it skips that like y- y- the redemption of rooster necessarily mm-hmm. because he we see him at his lowest he gets very drunk and he blows off maddie and he says we're done with our, our business arrangement is off yeah and then she's true. taken and he has to rise to the occasion he doesn't have this yeah. this chance to be like you know this girl's really taught me something it's like <laughs> no it's go time it, it, this yeah. has to happen now yeah um, so that it, it's there's no yeah it, 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 there's this little middle part that that almost all the rest of those 
stories have where yeah you know she maddie would come to him and be like i need you to be the man that i hired or something like that and, and you don't get yeah. that like he just has to do it on his own yeah usually there's like say an apology type thing mm -hmm. and then it's kidnapping and you're like oh no i actually have to rise to the occasion yeah. again again that's the idea of talking about perspective is that once maddie gets kidnapped we don't go back to cogburn mm -mm. at all so you don't see the discussions with him and labeef like having a like what the plan is or anything um it just kind of happens and so his redemp his redemption kind of comes afterwards mm -hmm. it's when he's writing her to go to the to to kind of take or, or save her from the snake venom basically mm -hmm. um and that scene when when she falls in the pit great scene the way they direct it mm -hmm. um but then going into that last ride where it's so that's where like the west like it, there's always visuals with the western in this movie but that last ride is where it goes full-blown like i'm gonna make we're gonna make this look beautiful mm -hmm. with what a, like what a western is supposed to be like because you gotta think this takes place in oklahoma and arkansas that's not Oklahoma. Yeah, <laughs> you watch yeah, that. But it's, it's no Monument <laughs> Valley. You know, like, yeah, it's no Monument Valley. But he make, but they make it look beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, and then you kind, again, I love the kind of tie up, the kind of ending of it all. That big ride is great. Um, he Cogburn is so determined to get her there and yeah, save her. Yeah, and she's she's screaming at him for for shooting the, the I horse mean, the part when he has to stab the horse that's insane yeah but, um yeah and then shoot him and she's no 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 and he's just yeah. like i'm getting her there no matter what it's happening yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna shoot the, and i'm shooting the horse to to save him mm -hmm. to not suffer basically to yeah. get you there and then you had that good kind of epilogue where she shows up now older with her without a, an arm because they had to amputate the arm because the, the the snake venom that she got when she fell in the pit um and you have just kind of the great um kind of monologue by um elizabeth marvel elizabeth marvel thank you um and just kind of it's it's funny just kind of seeing like how the characters labeef and cogburn were so much a part of her life and then were not a part of her life at all mm -hmm. and it's her kind of revisiting this time in her life of these two people where she's like oh yeah i guess labeef's probably still alive somewhere yeah. but i don't know where he's at and then cogburn it's that it's that bittersweet missed opportunity of her seeing cogburn as an old man mm -hmm. uh, at the end where it's like she takes him and buries him in her family plot because he is part of her family and in her eyes but she hasn't seen him since she was 14 years old mm -hmm. and she's now like it's 25 20 20 25 years later is the thing but he was so, he had such a lasting impact on her and i think her to him is the other thing as mm -hmm. well yeah, absolutely. I had the body removed to our plot, and I have visited it over the years. No doubt people talk about that. They say, well, she hardly knew the man. Isn't she a cranky old maid? It is true, I have not married. I never had time to fool with it. I heard nothing more of the Texas officer Labeef. If he is yet alive, I would be pleased to hear from him. I judge he would be in his 70s now, and nearer 80 than 70. I expect some of the starch has gone out of that cowlick. Time just gets away from us. Onset life. 
So production for True Grit would begin in March of 2010 with shooting taking place in New Mexico and Texas with a budget of around $35 million. The opening of the movie when Maddie arrives at Fort Smith to pick up her father's body was filmed in Granger, Texas. The town was used to double in the movie due to the several due to several sections of the city still displaying the time period city city planning with the wide streets. Uh, the art department added details like fake buildings were built between existing ones. Existing buildings were painted or redressed with the facades to give them the correct period of pe- uh, period, period appearance. Sand was put on the go- cobblestone streets to get the appearance of dirt roads. And 20th century telephone poles were either removed or redressed as trees. Um because they didn't use any digital enhancing to my knowledge like cgi for that location it was pretty oh, much wow. all it was pretty much all uh practical when it came to the landscape of the film the cohen's said they had to had to cheat a little because even though they saw the film as a kid's adventure they had and they knew it was a western still and because of that they wanted to add visuals that harken back to the accepted visual of the genre why the film looks more like wide open space of texas new mexico and not arkansas there, there are wi- wide open spaces in oklahoma <laughs> that's true that is true that's true um now though they had found the perfect actress in Haley steinfeld the production would have problems due to her being so young because of child labor laws joel and ethan cohen were unable to film any scenes past midnight with steinfeld mm-hmm. uh especially difficult because the movie contains mostly night scenes or a lot of night scenes at least and because of scheduling problems anytime there is a shot of another character over maddie's shoulder or back maddie is played by an adult double in her wardrobe not steinfeld mm. so there you go director of photography roger deakins would later say the most difficult part of the production was making their days or essentially staying on schedule um another i don't say issue another kind of aspect of this production some say issue uh was they had to handle horses uh the cohen said they had that they had the best horse wranglers in the business father and son duo rusty and scout schoenfeld hendrickson mm. some names two stuntmen that had worked on several westerns including quentin tarantino's django unchained and the hateful eight uh rusty the father had actually started his career on dance with wolves it took a little bit more time than what it would be in the early days of the westerns early even 20 years before this film uh, in order to ensure the horse's safety that was kind of the main thing that that they wanted to focus on at this point um they would use real horses mechanical horses and cgi uh help for certain moments to capture the horses in the movie one sequence that included all of these elements was when maddie crosses the river to catch rooster and Labeef. Mm-hmm. you can catch a brief moment where you can tell it's a mechanical horse and like one of the close-ups of her in the river but that they 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 blend them fairly well it would also seem the weather was very un- uncooperative. Uh, they said when they needed snow, it wouldn't snow. And when they didn't need snow, it would snow. Um, and because the majority of the film took place outdoors, it would be even tougher to meet their days throughout schedule. But it seems they're mostly able to to stay on schedule at the end. Uh, one fun thing on set that they would keep an eye on was the dialogue that was spoken. Something that Hunter had brought up last week with Jeremiah Johnson was that in the 1800s, people did not use contractions mm-hmm. in their dialogue that we do today. So things like don't, won't, shouldn't, couldn't could not be used. And on the set, anytime an actor would use one accidentally in a scene, they would have to do the scene over again. The Coens jokingly said they had a whistle they would blow, but I don't know how fully true that is. Uh, they said the actors welcomed creating such an authentic portrayal of the period and language, which is one of the reasons why many of them joined the projects. Bridges said that it had a poetic nature to it all. Mm-hmm. For the film's final moments, Ruth Morris was the body double for actress Elizabeth Marvel, who plays the adult Maddie Ross, the character 
distinguishable because of the the one arm that she has. Morris was born without a left forearm, um, and she actually has more screen time in the film than Marvel does, apparently. Mm. There, there, a, a lot of that of the sequence is shot from like behind her. From behind, yeah. yes. Um, production for the film would wrap on April 27th, 2010, uh, and that leads us into the aftermath of this production. So, aftermath. There was some secrecy surrounding the film, mainly because the producers and studios decided not to premiere it at festivals, which many were surprised by since it was viewed as, viewed as a possible Oscar contender. Uh, the film was given a holiday release, being released on December 22nd, 2010. It was a year after the monster Christmas hits of James Cameron's Avatar and Guy Ritchie's Sherlock Holmes adaptation. Hmm. Now, it's really funny looking at this kind of period of film after that. So by this point, studios were investing heavily in big budget 3D spectacles or trusted stars. So besides competing with Oscar favorites like The King's Speech, The Fighter, and Black Swan over the holidays, True Grit would have to compete with big budget studio fare like Disney's Tron Legacy 3D, also starring Jeff Bridges, Warner Brothers' Yogi Bear 3D, Fox's <laughs> Gulliver's Travels 3D, Ugh. and Universal's Little Little Fockers. Uh, they also had to deal with the holdovers of the Chronicles of Narnia, Voyage the Dawn Treader 3D, and Tangled in 3D. Oh, I forgot they made a Dawn Treader movie. I thought they stopped they with did. Prince Caspian. No, because I think it went over to fox or something it wasn't disney did the third one because because the second one didn't do as much didn't do as well money wise uh needless to say the industry did not have high hopes for this being for, for this being a success because it was a mid-budget western and as several outlets had put it at the time the western genre was dead surprisingly or maybe unsurprisingly all the new releases over that holiday weekend underperformed the box office except for true grit while it wouldn't win the weekend, that, that achievement would go to the completing chapter in the Meet the Parents trilogy, <laughs> True Grit would have tremendous legs, putting up a fight for weeks to come. It would finally take the number one spot for the weekend in its third weekend. Overall, the film would not gross as much as some of the other films in this, this kind of period, but it was considered a mass success because of the genre and the budget, becoming the second highest grossing Western of all time behind Dances with Wolves, with $171 million domestically and $252 million in total worldwide. To this day, it is still the biggest box, box office success from the Coen brothers. Oh, okay. Now, to the surprise box office success of the film, its award potential shot up instantly. It would eventually garner 10 Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor Screenplay, and Best Actor for Bridges. Haley Steinfeld would also receive an Oscar nomination for her debut role, but it was for Best Supporting Actress, which is surprising because she's the lead of the movie. <laughs> but nothing gets in the way of Oscar politics. Uh, it would also get a big push in the middle of January when it's Paramount, when Paramount would release the film in almost 400 more theaters than its opening weekend. So they really were pushing for it. Speaking, speaking of Oscar politics, do you think that they specifically didn't want to put run her against... Uh, Natalie Portman? No, um, uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, Jennifer Lawrence. Two, two, min two teenagers. Yeah. Debate. So, let me, yeah, let me read you. Did you have you looked at the the list for the Oscars oh, that year? Two thousand ten. I know well. It is one of my. <laughs> it is one of my rants. The 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 twenty ten Oscars is something I come back to many times. Is this a Social Network King speech? Yes. Stuff. Is, yep. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, Best Actress is Natalie Portman, Black Swan, Annette Benning. The Kids Are All Right, 
Nicole Kidman, Rabbit Hole, Jennifer Lawrence, Winter's Bone, Michelle Williams, Blue Valentine. That's Best Actress. Best Supporting Actress is Haley Seinfeld for True Grit, Jackie Weaver for Animal Kingdom, Helena Bohm Carter for The King's Speech, Amy Adams for The Fighter, Melissa Leo for The Fighter. What's the what 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 would be the 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 strategy here? Is it do you think it's because those two young kind of wonderkins? I, I feel like that's that was what they their thinking was was we're not going to have two teenagers in in the same in, category in best, best lead yeah. Which I, I don't know if Jennifer Lawrence was a teenager at that point or was she? She was she was like she was twenty yeah she was twenty. That might be it because I, I I feel like who do you replace if you take someone out and put Haley Seinfeld in? Do you place do you replace someone with? And her her rabbit hole performance is not not my favorite of hers and rabbit hole is one like i feel like it's weird to talk about like the you know the the twin movie phenomenon with like uh-huh. you know the wild and madagascar it, it it happens most often with kids movies it doesn't really happen with oscar with movies, movies but yeah that's I, I, with like blue valentine and rabbit hole i i always think of yeah. those two as like very similar films and i think blue valentine is the better of the, the two better of the two yeah i haven't i haven't seen rabbit hole since it came out so i don't i don't i remember liking it but i have never revisited blue valentine i revisit i won't say a lot that's a weird <laughs> film to I revisit would, i would think that was weird <laughs> if you revisited blue valentine a lot oh yeah once a year i go back and rewatch <laughs> blue valentine it's a comfort to, film to comfort film for me <laughs> about just a uh a the the down spiral of a marriage it's great but I think Michelle Williams is amazing in that movie, and I think we're and Gosling's great in that film. Mm-hmm. And Gosling kind of got overlooked this year in, in the ask the actor nominees. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a good year. It's a good like, year, and then the King's Speech a, swept. <laughs> I mean, I like the King's Speech, Thomas, but I understand it's not Social Network. But like, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, let's see what else. And you have the fighter that year with Bale. Bale winning his Oscar finally. It's an interesting year, I'll say mm-hmm. the least. It's an interesting year because it's one of the first. Year, I don't know if it's the first year, or maybe it is the first year when they they widen it. To, no, second year. Second year they widen it to 10, Osc- 10, 10 nominees for best picture. Um, but speaking of Oscars, uh, that extra exposure that that those four hundred theaters and all that kind of Oscar politics to get Steinfeld an Oscar. Um, True Grit would become one of the five films. To have 10 nominations or more and not receive a single Oscar win. Oof. The film is still one of the Coen's most successful critically and still the most financially successful film of their careers. For many, it feels almost like an oddity in the Coen brothers filmography, like we kind of said earlier, because on the surface it is one of their most straightforward films. But that doesn't take away from the fact that it's one of their most well-crafted films of their careers. And still and still hilarious. Like, you know, still fun. Yeah. Who won who won cinematography that year? That's a great question, Thomas. Who won was some it, Was it that Hooper's year? DP? Oh, I got in, it was Inception. Inception, Inception, yeah. which also wins Best Visual Effects yeah, for yeah. that year. Yeah. What do you pick? Because because is is Inception just the big flashy one? Is that yeah, why? Yeah, I think, think so. That Everyone, oh my God, they folded a the how did how did they shoot it? That city folding in on itself. I'd probably give it to Deacons, although you know you know I'm a Matthew Liebatik guy. I mean that that's a that's a tough race right here. You got you got Cronin with. With Social Network, you got Deacons with True Grit, you got King Speech, you got Black Swan with Libatique, and you got Fister with Inception. Like King Speech, I know, like I think it's actually shot very well because yeah. what they do, I, li- the I like, they, I like the way they frame it. Tom Hooper style. I, I yep. love John Adams. I like his style. I just don't like cats. I'm sorry. Very bad. <laughs>
Actually, I love cats. You know, what are you talking about? I was like, don't lie, don't lie on this podcast, Thomas. <laughs> um, but yeah, tough year. Um, with that one, but True Grit. It's 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 crazy to think that True Grit doesn't get one nomination. Like even best art decoration, mm. they they lose to Alice in Wonderland. Ooh, think about that for a second. Alice in Wonderland. Most you mean? Two. I think you mean most art decoration. That, again, that that's <laughs> that's what comes into play a lot of times. That's the thing is that like some of these awards like they win because they're not flashy enough, but mm-hmm. they're just as well done. In some cases, more so than some of these other films. Yeah. Not to discredit the work of Alice Wonderland crew i don't want to do that but i'm just saying sometimes i think this is a period when when and it still happens where bigger budget gets so sometimes gets awarded more than those smaller films mm-hmm. where like like alice warland's budget is probably 200 million dollars when the budget for true grit is 35 million dollars yeah now i'm not but i'm not, like basically their art direction budget was was a big chunk of uh, of probably alice in Wonderland for the most part compared to true grits like probably minuscule budget for art direction because mm-hmm. like you wonder how much the cast is paid in, in true grit because the cast is st- stacked with brolin damon bridges i feel like they're probably taking a little bit of pay cut to work with cohen brothers i assume but it's 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 gonna be a small pay it's gonna be a small budget film for that um so thomas what worked about true grit uh the cohen's i i think like you said it, it is their most straightforward Mm-hmm. take on a genre i think that they've done there's nothing ironic about it in any sense but their their humor still comes through so well and it looks gorgeous and yeah i just i don't think anyone but them could make a western like this that feels faithful to the genre i i wouldn't even i wouldn't necessarily call this a revisionist western like they're they're just trying to either. deliver us a western but they're also trying to make it feel more accurate they're they're doing all this part of the reason why we kind of wanted to bring this one up as our last episode they're they're almost doing everything that like every filmmaker we talked about this month was trying to do but they're doing it all at once all at once yes it's a comment on i guess society at that time but also today um you know there there is redemption these aren't these aren't these are, are buffoons and and drunks and and you know not great people but there is good in almost all of them you know you get that scene with ned like ned's when, when she's talking with ned you're like okay this guy's this is a reasonable fellow. he seems reasonable <laughs> yeah yeah he's um, a reasonable guy so so there is that kind of like john ford like these these people with with you know that might be failures in life have this opportunity to come out west and make something of themselves you yeah. obviously get the wild bunch kind of thing about yes violence is very real and and you do have that that um epilogue on the film that is like and all of these men died out and and that is yeah. the west is done now it's it's reduced yeah. to a sideshow um they literally, they literally became a sideshow yeah. the thing they became the cole younger and frank james wild west company yep. basically yep so so you, uh-huh. you get a little bit of everything and and so it's it's not one of those westerns that's trying to say like Hey, all those John Ford westerns are, are are bullshit, which is what a lot of the revisionist ones were trying to say in the seventies. Um, yeah, but it but it is it's it's crafted lovingly to the genre, but also with a postmodern eye, which which I think is yeah. just a fantastic combination. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, too, going off of what I said earlier about what they're inspired by, 
I think you can you can actually kind of see a little bit of the pirate movie genre in in this with with Cogburn in a way. Like it's like he has like a Blackbeard's ghost quality to him, where he is this kind of buffoon, but also there's a heart to him in the end, essentially. Mm-hmm. But they nail the tone is basically what I mean of what they were aiming for, mm-hmm. which most which almost all the time the Coens do. They have a a fantastic eye for tone, or yep. I guess a, a a fantastic meter for tone. Like they know how to balance it well. They know how to balance the the drama and the comedy, but the violence uh, as well. Mm-hmm. And, and it's done very well. But yeah, crafted well. The art direction's great. The cinematography's great. The cast is great. Yeah, cast is fantastic. I think that that's the other thing. It's it's wild to to go back. You know, now Haley Steinfeld is very successful actor and she's done yeah. you know she's done performances you and i both love like edge of 17 she's done money makers like pitch perfect and bumblebee she's a pop star she's now a superhero yeah. is a thing you go back to like this one you're like yes that is why she is everywhere you watch this movie and you're like i am gonna put that girl on something because here's the thing i was a little bit worried for her for a bit there's like a, like we we're like right after True Grit, like she really wasn't doing. She did that Romeo and Juliet that that didn't do the well. Romeo and Juliet didn't do well. She was in Ender's Game, didn't do well. I liked her in Begin Again, where she's Mark Ruffalo's daughter, mm. but it's a very that's another very like small indie movie, and she's not she's not a big part. Like I don't think she comes back into the the swing of things until probably Pitch Perfect too, and it's probably her pop career kind of helps out with that to mm. to keep the keep her uh relevant and then i think you get pitch perfect two and then you get edge 17 and it's just kind of upswing yep from there is the thing and then you got spider-man and the spider-verse type stuff as well in 28 so it's like she really is kind of missing in action for like three years because she doesn't do a movie from 20 2011 2012 at all it's not until 2013 she does another movie she has like four movies and only and, and all of them are kind of like not successful um so yeah it's like she she's now i guess living up to the potential that she set out to after true grit mm-hmm. and now she probably will be one of i think she's on the still she's only 25 still that's the thing she's been around <laughs> for for a, over a decade and she's only 25 she's gonna have a, a a very um i think uh successful career and pro and pr- you'll probably see her have a very varied career in some mm-hmm. way. I think you're gonna see a lot from her in the next coming years. She's just in, she's just in her like I think the beginning of her heyday. I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna and, say um, it's, let me say that. Oh, what was her her Apple TV series was very Dickinson. well reviewed. Yeah. Dickinson, yeah, Dickinson, yeah. So yeah, I think I think she's um she's on a, a bigger upswing than people probably thought. But yeah, I think it's just it was weird because I remember thinking like where is that girl at for a while, and then all of a sudden it took about five more years. Mm-hmm. And and she's transitioned very well from maybe those five, that kind of like unsuccess or the unsuccessful films or the break has led to her having the career she has now because she didn't get trapped fully in the child actor mm-hmm. stuff. This she didn't have a Jennifer Lawrence rise if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like immediately afterwards, it's taken a bit of time. I I, I still think it's funny anytime I see because she's she's got a decent you know kind of modeling and and brand ambassador career as well every time i see her like modeling fashion or something i just think back to how many times people say that she's ugly in this movie (laughs) there's like multiple times where they're like you are an ugly child and you're like why why is that why is that a dick why we gotta go here what'd she do to it's like they're just annoyed by her 
and they're just like we're gonna comment on your looks <laughs> is like what every character does and she's just kind of like i don't care like even at the end when she's like yeah i never married i don't care yeah, like, I, that's kinda what I was the, the far older, too busy to worry about that. i was far too busy like running like like being successful and running my life type thing basically maddie ross don't need no man is what, mm-hmm. what it comes off as at the end um all right did anything not work with this film i i don't think so i think this is a pitch perfect movie in in, in my in my eyes yeah yeah i don't have anything either um which is sad to say um it's one i just i think it's incredibly crafted i think i do wonder if we ever did a ranking of the coen brothers movies where this ends up at yeah i, I it that there's like I, there's some that i love because they are flawed yeah. like i could sit here with something like a serious man and have so many more things that i could pick apart with it yeah um but that's that's just also their voice and the and the way that they yeah. work with movies but yeah how do you how do you rank raising arizona versus true grit it's just yeah <laughs> they're so different or like lady killers exactly oh, that's I that, that i can rank that <laughs> one i can i can rank that one it's going pretty low it's still an interesting one. It's 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 I've said before, I like when Tom Hanks goes off and just does like I'm gonna go so over the top of this role. <laughs> uh but I like it. Um okay, Auden Universe Cast. The only person I found uh was Michael Bean auditioned for Ned Pepper and didn't get it. Okay. I could see that. That's that's the only thing I found. I, 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 I could feel see like, I Michael Bean paying that part. I feel like somebody role. just you know, Ellen Channel with calls and they're like, Hey, Barry Pepper's available and you're just like ah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he even kind of looks like if you go back and look at Duvall in this role, he kind of looks like Duvall in, yeah. in the in the way that they set it up. But I've always yeah, been, I've always enjoyed Barry Pepper. I don't think he he gets enough even even as a character I actor. I don't think he gets as much work as he deserves. But no, no I agree. He's great. He's great in this. Mm-hmm. He's really great in this. All right. Film facts. Um, as you said, we've talked about just briefly uh, the Cole Younger and Frank James Wild West Company, which uh Cogburn is a part of at the end uh did tour the south in 1903 um younger and james formed the show years after the end of their careers as outlaws and notorious james younger gang gang i love i think it's i can't think it's younger maybe that that uh maddie ross is just like trash or whatever you trash <laughs> trash because he doesn't stand up or something you keep too. Your I don't seat know what it, trash yeah trash yeah um Jeff Bridges is the third actor in movies and TV to play Rooster Cogburn. John Wayne was the first in True Grit and Rooster Cogburn. Uh, can you guess the other person? I think it was a TV movie, so I think it's going to be hard to guess. Yeah, no. It was Warren Oates yeah. okay. in a movie called True Grit, A Further Adventure. Oof. But the char- the character's name was Reuben J. Rooster. <laughs> Don't know why. Back, I'm sure it was back in the, the TV movie of the week era. Yeah yeah uh the last this is the last film that roger deacon shot on film before switching the digital i believe is what mm. i what i read um stereotypical cowboy hats were purposely not used in the film as they would have been considered out of place in the film setting mm-hmm. uh, in the original in the original true grit rooster cogburn wears his eye patch on his left eye in the remake of true grit the eye patch is worn on the right eye which is true to the novel there you go i don't know why i don't know why they're just like no screw that we're putting on the left i'm sure it was john wayne was just like "Ah, yeah i like this one better in order to get the most effective voice after biting his tongue matt damon tied a hair tie around it to talk (laughs) no tongue it it works he sounds like he bit his tongue all right so this this is kind of a question too it's a trivia question for you the cast includes three oscar winners and two nominees 
Can you name them all? Uh, I know I know what the trick is going to be. It's J.K. Ah, Simmons. Yes. <laughs> I was going to nominate J.K. Simmons for uh, for one of the awards. <laughs> <For Beatrice Strait. laughs> I, I'm, I can't I can't not recognize that voice. Are you kidding me? I heard that. I was like, that's J.K. Simmons. <laughs> yeah, Jeff Bridges, Matt Damon, J.K. Simmons as Oscar winners. Matt Damon for Good Will Hunting, not for not for acting, but for writing. Bridges for Crazy Heart, J.K. Simmons for Whiplash. Nominees be Brolin and Steinfeld. Uh, any story questions you have for this movie, Thomas? I, I would I would love to just kind of see some footage of Maddie running her her farm. Yeah, just with a with a no nonsense attitude for sure. Talk talk about True Grit, a further adventure. <laughs> that right there. Here's like, a farm. I don't I don't I don't suffer any fools on my farm. You can see that. Um, is is Labeef a better ranger after this for for like what he's learned and grown as a person? That's a good question. Because <laughs> he does kind of have that arc in which you know he he makes that shot when you, you get the feeling that like he wouldn't normally make that shot with the rifle yeah. you know um, yeah. and he he's he's always been someone who has kind of consistently fumbled the bag which is we, we get through the subtext of the idea that he's lost cheney chumsford um you know on multiple occasions yeah and and he finally rises to the occasion on this on this time and even though he is extremely worse for wear um hopefully this is a learning experience for him I hope so. Did, did I mean did Cogburn become a better human being after this? I wonder. Nah, I it, it, it it is it is. I mean, it is odd. Um, I don't say odd, but like I guess it's it's, it's just it, but goes in, in line with this type of tone of this movie of like yeah, we never saw each other again till mm-hmm. like after this, after this time. It's like yeah, that that epilogue really really serves to like and not romanticize the West in any sense. Yeah, it's like that. Yeah, yeah that's just how it worked. That was probably the most exciting thing to ever happen in maddie's life i'm sure that she never did anything like that ever again because she was never after the adventure you know she was she it's it's i feel like any other movie it would be the epilogue would be like and after that i was bit with the adventure bug and i became a, a cowgirl Ro- yeah me and rooster went out and did <laughs> yeah, adventures yeah, and or it's whatever. Like, nope i did what had to be done but my place was always back on the farm looking after my family yeah it's interesting it's it's like I, we're in a we're in a place now where like it's it's there's people you don't see again in your life sometimes, mm-hmm. but it's never always like a definitive like end. A lot of times, like now with social media, like mm-hmm. you always you can see them sometime in your life in some way. But like back, then, you know, I, we just went to a play recently, and there's a part where they're like, "Cool, I guess I'll never see you again," and that's it. <laughs> it's just like that's a definitive end. This person has was in my life for sometimes a brief time, sometimes a long time, and then just not fades away but but just completely cuts to black with them yeah and it's somewhat it i reminded of the the title of that larry mcmurtry novel to bring in larry mcmurtry on this episode with the west this has a very larry mcmurtry vibe to it uh the all my friends are going to be strangers or whatever that line i was like this this reminds me of that a little bit that that line reminds me of this with uh cogburn being this very influential part in her life literally a family member in her eyes and he, they probably knew each other for like a few weeks, maybe, mm-hmm. but they were both that impactful to one another. It, they just stuck with one another. So yeah, emotionally, I guess. All right, awards. The Beatrice Strait Award actor actually in the scenes that kills it. Who do you have? Uh, I, I got to throw out Donald Gleason. Yeah. Um, should can we throw out Barry Pepper in this one, or is that? We're gonna th- you really only got like one scene. I would throw Barry Pepper into this. I would throw Barry Pepper into this. How about uh, 
How about Brolin? Oh, man, because that 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 I, I feel like Brolin and Pepper and similar things, um, or similar scenes, amount of scenes. I guess I would put Bridges in the. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Brolin into this because Brolin doesn't show up until I read this. This was the fact of like Brolin doesn't show up till an hour and nineteen minutes into this movie. Mm-hmm. He shows up very late. So okay, so we got Brolin. We got Barry Pepper. We got Gleason. I'm a throwing just for fun. I'm for Dakin Matthews for that bargaining scene mm-hmm. in the beginning. And you know what? I just got to give him a shout out. I looked this guy up. He is just an like out and out character actor, but um, and like very much a working actor. But the guy that plays the the cross examining attorney, he really just like oh yeah, chew, chews on those words. He, cho- he chews Mr. Cogburn, <laughs> Ma- manageable figure. <laughs> got a great voice he does he does uh what's his name Who, who's who's oh, that's uh oh well, let me see i pulled him up his his literal the the character name is cross-examining attorney uh okay yeah, he's down the wikipedia thinks he might be on that joe stevens joe stevens okay you may have seen him in texas chainsaw the next generation oh man and american outlaws he must he, he say oh he must, he's a he must be a texas-based actor then mm-hmm Oh, he's born in Quantico, Virginia. Interesting. Oh, yeah, he's in Varsity Blues. Oh, yeah, he's very much Texas guy. Justified. He's in Justified for for four episodes. Four episodes. Yeah. All right. But okay. So that's that's Joe Stevens. So shout out Joe Stevens, no matter what. Um, I like Brolin with this. I'll, I'll, I'll back that. I I just absolutely love the entire time he's on screen in this movie he's he is a blast because barry pepper is great and and i think both brolin and pepper you both get you get a an image built up in your mind of what their characters will be like Mm -hmm. and they both go like the opposite way yeah it's like you think cheney's gonna be this like vile like almost like, like like foaming at the mouth type villain like monster and mm-hmm. he's just kind of like oh yeah oh yeah i shot your father or whatever <laughs> it's like it's not, it's not a big it's like he's just kind of like whatever and then ned pepper you kind of in a similar fashion can be the big way but he feels like almost diplomatic in everything that he does mm-hmm. um and he seems like a very intelligent and cunning person but not a purely violent person that like bridges has or cogburn's built him up as mm-hmm. as like this this like backstabbing outlaw type character um but i think brolin i think brolin because we talk so much about cheney and we're building up to cheney and he completely goes against your expectations for him mm. like the most i would say brolin i know you your name is maddie but you're a little maddie the bookkeeper isn't that something Yes, and I know you, Tom Cheney. What are you going out here? Him to fetch some water. Oh, then what are you doing in these mountains here? Well, I have not been formally deputized, but I'm acting as an agent for Marshal Reuben Cochran and Judge Parker's court. I have come to take you back to Fort Smith. Well, I will not go. How do you like that? Well, there's a posse of officers up there who will force you to go. Well, that is interesting news. And how many is up there? Right around 50. And they're all well-armed and they mean business. What I want you to do now is come on across the creek and walk in front of me up that hill. I think I will oblige the officers to come after me. All right, Annie Potts X-Factor Award, supporting actor and actress that is the most memorable. 
not not Haley Steinfeld because she's not. I, I she's think not she's, she's the lead. Yeah, she's the lead. She's the lead. Damon. I feel like Damon's like the only one that falls into this category. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Let's let's give him a little bit of recognition because he really does. He he really does, he does turn great. in a, a great performance. Again, I think he gets overlooked in this movie because like it's like I think because Cogburn is was played by John Wayne. I think most of the press was like jeff bridge is gonna tackle the john wayne role mm-hmm. like they're not like matt damon's gonna tackle glenn campbell's role like no one cared about about that as much so like i remember coming like oh damon's in this movie it was almost surprising mm-hmm. uh that damon was in it but yeah bridges i think just it, he had more of a, a uphill battle uh because of wayne but damon sneaks in under the radar and i think gives a really fun performance and again i think his chemistry with bridges specifically with the poking and prodding is just it's just wonderful well i will throw in with you and your marshal no marshal cogburn and i are fine it'll be to our mutual advantage your marshal i presume knows the territory i know cheney it is at least a two-man job taking him alive when cheney is taken he's coming back to fort smith to hang i'm not having him go to texas to hang for shooting some senator it is not important where he hangs is it it is to me is it to you it means a great deal of money to me. It's been many months' work. Oh, I'm sorry that you were paid pacework and not on wages, and that you have been eluded the winter long by a half-wit. You give out very little sugar with your pronouncements. While I sat there watching you, I gave some thought to stealing a kiss, though you are very young and sick and unattractive to boot. But now I have a mind to give you five or six good licks with my belt. Well, one would be as unpleasant as the other. The Gene Hackman MVP award, the person who carries the movie, director, actor, etc. This is a, this is a really tough one because yeah. Steinfeld is carrying this movie. Um, she is, but the Coens are as well. But also Roger Deakins is. I knew you were gonna say Deakins. I just knew you were gonna say Deakins. I knew you were gonna say Deakins. I, I think I have to go Haley Steinfeld. I I think this is such an extremely like you were saying like the the grown actors were having a hard time doing delivering these lines and she yeah. just fits in to be 14 and to fit into just the cohen's tone and and everything going on here the way that she does is insane i agree i think i think just looking at the casting process of like how hard it was one out of fifteen thousand. Mm-hmm. that's a lot of audition tapes you got to go yep. through and I know the Coens aren't going through all of them. That's the casting department, but that's a lot of people you got to go through mm-hmm. and, and not just like what's LA based. It's like, we're looking literally nationwide of who can we find that can play this role. And you find someone who, again, is the age of the character. Cause I think, I think like Kim Darby was 20 when she was playing the character mm-hmm. of Maddie Ross. Like she was, she was an adult basically to find a kid that's this damn good in this role. And and the Coens knowing if we don't find the right one, this movie's over type thing. Like, like we're gonna, we're gonna try, still trying to make it, mm-hmm. but like we know whoever we find, we're gonna be settling. And she is not a settle or compromise in any way, shape, or form. And so you got picture if you take her out of it, because they're so hell bent on like this is a perspective from the the child, this mm-hmm. is pers- perspective from the kid. If she doesn't work. I think the whole movie falls apart. Well, I also think it, it's like you said, it, it is, it is not, it is not the most Cohen of, no. of the Cohen brothers movies. And, and that, that is a testament to them as well. Like they, they obviously wanted to make something that, that felt 
more aimed at kids and, and felt like a little bit more approachable than, than some of their other works. But yeah, that's, that's part of the reason I was kind of leaning away from it. And that, that is still a testament to their craftsmanship, but they, it seems like they wanted to take a step back and be like, this isn't, this isn't one of our Cohen projects, you know? What do you want, girl? Speak up for supper time. Let me do this. Your makings are too dry. I'm looking for the man who shot and killed my father, Frank Ross, in front of the Monarch boarding house. The man's name is Tom Cheney. They say he's over in Indian Territory, and I need somebody to go after him. What's your name, girl? My name is Maddie Ross. We're located in Yale County. My mother's at home looking after my sister, Victoria, and my brother, little Frank. I'd best go home to them. They will need help with the journey. There is a fugitive warrant out for Cheney. Government will pay you $2 for bringing him in, plus 10 cents a mile for each of you. On top of that, I will pay you a $50 reward. What are you? What you got there in your poke? My God. Culture of gun. You're no bigger than a corn nubbin. What are you doing with a pistol like that? Well, I intend to kill Tom Chaney with it. Kill Tom Chaney? Well, if the law fails to do so. Final questions. We didn't discuss this or not. So what did you do for the remake? Did you do today or did you do a different period? You you had said nineties at some point, right? Okay, cool. I did I did. I did. Okay. I, I but I know we didn't get you were busy with some other things, so I didn't get a response. So I wasn't for sure if I okay. did you see that. That's what I I I, I okay, had cool. a tough time because a lot of the guys I think of as being old in the nineties were really old in the two thousands. But yeah. um who was but old who in the nineties? I can't even like <laughs> can't even think of like who was playing the old man who was in their the yeah who was in their 60s in the 90s yeah because i the, the guys i got are like maybe 50s but i think that'd still work that's fine okay so who all do you have all right I, i've got I've, I've got the main three and then i've got tom and ned pepper all right cool let's go with pepper and work our way up um <laughs> i've got barry pepper <laughs> <laughs> I think I think he he was already be younger. Yeah, this is this is saving Private Ryan time. Um, the the other one I was thinking would be interesting was Gary Sinise. Gary Sinise would be interesting in this role. I think he he's he's never really played like a bad guy, but he he's got a look to him. I could see him as a as an outlaw. I like Gary Sinise. I'm gonna go with Gary Sinise. Okay. I'm gonna go with that. I'm gonna go with that. I think I think Barry Pepper would be just too young. I All think right. he's too to be the leader of the gang. Yeah. So look, Gary Sinise works for me. Okay. Okay. Tom Cheney. Tom Cheney. I have Tom Sizemore that makes perfect sense to me <laughs> um i like tom size more in this period um yeah tom, yeah 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 bring him back a little bit i think i think sometimes like like i'm just going vaguely 90s on, on this whole thing but uh, but like but like size more in like uh like devil in a blue dress type thing like mm -hmm. not that way but mm -hmm. like he's much more like he like not over the top size, more like enemy of the state. You know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah, when yeah. Said, when, yeah, not that, but we bring him back a little bit. Saving Private uh, Ryan size more. Saving Private Ryan size more. You're, you're the all Saving Private Ryan cast. <laughs> um, okay, I'll go with size more for Tom Chaney. LaBeef, Texas Ranger. Val Kilmer. Mid nineties. Pre. I could yeah, I could see Val Kilmer being like Texas Ranger. Yeah, around around Heat sure. era was what I was around thinking. Around Heat. Yeah, around heat, post tombstone, right? Mm -hmm. You know, okay, okay, I'll go with that. Uh, let's go with Cogburn instead of Maddie. I want to go Maddie Ross. Last. All right, that was that was the toughest one for sure. Cogburn, um, yeah. One that there, I have two that like. <laughs> 
yeah it's just just broadly 90s <laughs> uh, for for cogburn the two guys i'm thinking let's go later in the 90s because they were definitely still too young in the early 90s uh-huh. but I, I think the obvious one is nick nolte um yeah yes but then the other one that i that came to mind was stacy keach i don't think stacy keach can really carry a movie but i like i've always liked stacy keach i always like stacy keach as well um another one i thought of was hackman but i feel like we cast gene hackman in everything i don't know if we've had we have cast gene hackman in, in a we lot just, of things we just actually. cover a lot of gene hackman we just we, we just we just mentioned him in every episode basically <laughs> thing um i like nick nolte though mm-hmm. i like nick nolte for for this stacy keach would be fun though i think i think nick nolte would definitely have the edge to it that you need yeah I think Nick Nolte would have the like. I could see Nolte doing the. But still, that's like what, like ninety three is Prince of Tides. Like I, I'm, I'm thinking of like grizzled Nick, and Nick Nolte's always kind of look grizzled for to in a sense. But uh... I mean, I mean, look at him in blue chips. That's ninety four. Like he looks, <laughs> okay. he looks, right, he looks yeah. pretty. So if, if we're talking like ninety seven, ninety eight, then then yeah, yeah, probably good. Like, like what's what's he doing in ninety seven? Ninety eight's then Red Line. Hmm. I mean. It, let's see how old he'd be he would be 56 yeah that that checks out because i think bridges is like 60 when he does okay. true grit yeah i know i mean i i think in some moments i almost wonder if bridges is playing nick nolte <laughs> like, like, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the drunk parts or whatever the, I, the, almost the, a little... the, the the gravel it sounds like yeah. he gargled gravel yeah that that's that's nolte okay so we got nolte as cogburn okay now who do we have for Matty Ross, I think I think there's only one answer here. It's Natalie Portman, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because Leon's what year? Leon's ninety four. The other She's one 13, I was thinking yeah. was Winona, but I mean Winona was was grown by the nineties. I do love Winona Ryder uh, in this period, but yeah, I think she I think she's too old at that point. Mm-hmm. I think if, I think if you're if you're going like for the age range of it. I think even an '80s version of it. When on a writer's your person, yeah. In the late '80s, mid mid to late '80s, I think writers writers your gal on that one. But I think mid '90s and a little bit later, I think I think Nally Portman's the go-to pick with that. Mm-hmm. Man, Portman and and Nolte, what a <laughs> combo right there. <laughs> so we got Nolte as Cogburn, uh, uh, Portman as as Maddie Ross. You have. Um, uh Val Kilmer as as uh Labeef. you have uh Sizemore as Cheney and you have Gary Sinise as Pepper. That's a very 90s cast. Yeah. I just want to state that right now. So I think you, you, I think you you nailed the the assignment there, nice. Thomas. Now, uh does this film fit with any other genres, Thomas? Eh, I mean, it's it's like you kind of said with Bridges like it's like a mark twain kind of coming of age thing but i think it's pretty firmly a western and that's like we were saying i think the the cohen's kind of tried to not put as much subtext or postmodern yeah. into this as they normally do in, yeah. a, in an attempt to make it a, a pure western and and so it, it really is a, a pure western probably like you were saying with the historical accuracy probably one of the most pure ones that's ever been made yeah no i agree i agree and i mean you can say like the adventure type movie they're aiming for like the kids adventure like paper almost like a paper i mean a paperback type story um but yeah i think i think it let's go what what does um and then how does this film fit within the western genre 
Um, you know, it's 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 a weird. I, I don't really know how to put it into words. It's like we were saying. It's kind of a tribute to the genre, but it's also kind yeah. of correcting. It's it's kind of like Indiana Jones. We've talked about we've talked about yeah. Raiders of the Lost yeah. Ark in this way that that Lucas yeah. and Spielberg were like, we love this genre, but we've learned how to make better movies since this since genre then. was was made. So we're we're not. We're not trying to parody it. We're not trying to say that it was bad. We're just trying to make it in in the ways that we know how to make movies now. And that, yeah. that's kind of where this one fits as far as a Western goes. Yeah. Like you said, too, it definitely feels like it's answering all the, like everything the directors this entire month set out to do when making their films. True Grit feels like the this version of True Grit feels like the combination of all of them. Mm-hmm if it's even Ford's view of the West, but even also Peckinpah's view of the Western. Mm-hmm. Um, and even to the extent you have kind of, kind of the, uh, the Leone type vibe of like kind of these, not as big, but these somewhat betrayals mm-hmm. in some way with the, from character to character. If it's, if it's uh, Bridges and, and uh, Damon leaving Maddie Ross behind to go off on their adventure alone, or if it's, Labeef, Labeef constantly popping in and out of like l- losing them, then gaining them, and losing them again, gain them again. Feels almost like a, a good, bad, ugly when like uh, Eli Wallach is popping in and out mm-hmm. all the time, losing people and coming in. So yeah, I think it, I think it definitely has elements of everything well, discussed. You know, they, most of the film taking place in the in the re- reservation too is, is has them. It has a lot of survivalist aspects to it. You know, yeah. a lot of yeah. the time they are not within civilization at all. So. Yeah, it's the ending of them riding him riding to go get her to civilization mm-hmm. so she doesn't doesn't die. Um, so yeah, it definitely it has all that has all that. Um, all right, final questions for our Western month. Are there any movies that you want to shout out that we haven't discussed or we we didn't mention earlier this I month? I mean, we we cover? really tried to get Assassination of Jesse James by the coward we Robert did. Ford in here, and we and did. we we just never quite could make it fit in. But um, yeah. wow, just an absolute masterpiece of a film. So so check that one out if you're looking for yeah. another kind of modern adaptation. Um, one that's that's very close to to my own heart. I think I've recommended to you before, and we might have talked about it on the podcast before. Is um, Bend in the River, which is a Jimmy Stewart oh, yeah. kind of revenge, yeah. uh, redemption. It, it's got it's got a little bit of everything, but it's early Jimmy Stewart before he started doing westerns with John Wayne. Um, and then as far as John Wayne, I think red river is probably my favorite by him, John Wayne performance because he's a bad guy and I think he plays a great bad guy. (laughs) Um, because he kind of has an asshole vibe to him just in, in, in anything. (laughs) He does. No, he, he's, he's great in that. Um, I think that might be his best performance. I think his best movie is like Rio Bravo. Mm -hmm. I'm a, I'm a big Rio Bravo guy talk about a movie it's like all kind of takes place in one kind of area mm-hmm. in a way it definitely fits that yeah jimmy but to, to backtrack on jimmy stewart real quick because i had a brief discussion someone i, I just watched a movie called the man from laramie mm-hmm. which yeah. is stewart one of, one of stewart's big westerns and i think stewart's westerns are i think highly underrated in the western genre mm-hmm. i think I think John Wayne gets all John Wayne gets all the kind of like recognition for this air this period of Western, this era of Westerns. But Stewart and Mann's collaboration, Anthony Mann's collaboration, um, 
are really good. Mm-hmm. Lair, Man from Laramie, Been of the River, Naked Spur, Winchester 73. I also realized, too, when doing our Instagram kind of genre polls, that almost no one's seen the Jimmy Stewart Westerns, <laughs> I've, I've learned. And they're worth checking out. I think they're definitely worth checking out. But yeah, I think Ben the River's fun. Um, but yeah, Rio Bravo, I like from Wayne. One that I like that's underrated that's getting a little bit more buzz, I think after Criterion did a release of it, is uh, The Gunfighter with Gregory Peck. Mm-hmm. Is a really good uh, kind of Western. And like going into revisionist Western very early on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you, if you like Wild Bunch and you're looking for something like a little bit more of that like 70s auteur take um definitely check out mccabe and mrs miller because yeah that's a great altman uh western no i agree um and then this is i, I tell me if you think it's a western or not but i, I really love hud with paul newman yeah I think is Hud's that yeah i think i think i think hud is one that i really like a lot and if you want to go like really revisionist dead man by jim jarmusch mm. with, with, with depp in it is very like a, it's a very odd uh western but i remember really really enjoying so those are a lot to choose from i think some of them are streaming so go check them out um and then thomas what did you learn this month when we discussed the western you know just kind of the all these these warring viewpoints you know it's it's this genre it is it is the american genre as we've said in, in film and it is a genre that that never dies and so you do get every decade you get some strong director who's got something to say about the Western. And, and I had never really gone that deep into, like I knew the revisionist Westerns. I knew Ford obviously, but, but to, to kind of see how it has evolved decade by decade and what everyone is trying to say on it was, was definitely, it, it takes something like this month of watching a lot of them to, to start to connect the dots. And what I think is very fascinating with this genre too, is that like what we consider like revisionist, it's like, Oh, it's like, the late 60s happened the revisionist western comes in but what i found fascinating was how like you really start to see very early on filmmakers deal with the views of the old west mythology Um, i mean it's kind of like we've talked about with capra before it gets oversimplified through a modern lens it's like oh capra was just like small town america yeah yeah yeah. and then you go back and watch some of those movies and it's like this is kind of communistic (laughs) yeah he's he's got some he's got some kind of radical social views and and ford was the same way like the 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 ford and wayne collaboration you just think like oh john wayne's gonna go out and shoot some people and be an american hero and and ford didn't always think that way maybe wayne did but uh yeah but but the the directors didn't always feel that way they were they were much less black and white yeah. even from the start oh there was one that i like that i just watched recently for this month too and i also kind of shout here is the oxbow incident with the uh, with the henry fonda mm-hmm. uh from 1943 and it's a movie that's about basically these local ranchers uh our local rancher's been murdered and his cattle stolen and the townspeople uh find these men that I think are guilty and it becomes this like debate amongst the people of like, should we kill them or not? Mm. And they're like, but we don't know if they actually did this. They're like, well, we think they did. So we should just, we should get rid of them. And like Henry Fonda is this kind of guy. It's very like 12 angry men before 12 angry men. But if it was a Western type mm-hmm. thing, it's this idea of like outlaw justice. Mm-hmm. And it's a really dark movie for 1943 and Fonda's great in it. Dana Andrews is great. Anthony Quinn. Um, 
but yeah, even in 43, it's like we're questioning our views of the Western, but in turn, by questioning our views of the Western, we're questioning our views on our current society is mm-hmm. the thing. And that's what they that's what I think is very key is is how can you take a Western movie and make it about today? Yeah. Um and if that's the wild bunch, again, you're you're in that movie, you're seeing a transition in time in the Western world, in the Western kind of movie world. But what's actually happening in America and the, and the time period at that point mm-hmm. in the late sixties, you're seeing this transition and you're seeing that these things, the old ways are dying off. New ways are coming in. You either, you either adapt or die yep. type thing. Or in some cases you're going to die anyway, is the thing <laughs> with all those kids. We're on again, that we're on borrowed time. Um, but yeah, I, I've learned a lot of just like the different facets of this, of this genre of the subgenres within it. And it's it makes me want to again look into it more because there's still a lot of great westerns i've not seen yeah so so yeah all right preview for next month we're doing another director month thomas mm-hmm. it's gonna be a big one <laughs> gonna be a big one i feel like this might be the most popular director we've covered i feel like like in a, in a month maybe i don't know mm-hmm. but next month we are talking about the one and only stanley kubrick uh we are going into the talk about a guy who has done so many different genres but is a genre in himself mm-hmm. um but yeah we're talking about a lot of different movies pads of glory next week's gonna be killer's kiss uh the killing which we talked about recently uh and pads of glory uh we got uh dr strange love 2001 a lot of different movies for this month the shining so we're gonna be covering a lot of kubrick's life and career so go watch his movies if you can it's also his birthday month so be excited for that i guess um, but yeah, so that's all we have for this episode. That's what we have for you in this month. If you're a fan of the show or a new listener, make sure you subscribe to the Nation Podcast so you can stay up to date on all of our new episodes. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, make sure you write us a review on whatever platform listen to the show on. We're we're looking for a few a few listeners with true grit to get online <laughs> and just type up, you know, it's not that hard. I like this show. Not, this is a good show. You should listen to it. We we had someone from Albania that just gave us a star or gave us five stars, but then was like a thumbs up type yeah, thing. So all, like, yeah, that's all you just, need. just spread the word. I don't care. Just <laughs> five, five, five stars. Tell, I mean, we, we, we'd love to hear what you think. Tell us if you like it. But if you're just like, great, fantastic. I'll, I'll be satisfied mm-hmm. with that. So please do. And finally, don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that jazz. As always, Thomas, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening. Hope you listen to my episode soon. Bye.